We are, uh, we're digging in. This is the second to last week of our Digging In series. Digging in, we're going deep. We have this, this franchise, this digging in idea that at least once a year we'll do a series called Digging In. We'll, we'll do an in-depth look at something. And here we're doing an in-depth look at being God's church. We're doing an in-depth look at what, it's, what the early church was about in Acts chapters 1 through 10 so that we can figure out what it means for us. How are we going to be God's church now? And um, so this is the... the um, the text that uh, we're in today, or, or um, the series that we're in this, this, uh, this season, and it goes for uh, next week as well. There's, you know, when we start to talk, look about uh, what it is to be God's church, um, you know, one of the things that comes to me as I was sort of defining it uh, in my, my notes and thinking about it this week in my study time is that this, you know, we're going to look at a story in just a minute that helps us uh, kind of get our head around this idea of, of the words like conversion. You see, the church is people who have turned to follow Jesus. The church is a group of people who have turned around and gone the other direction and getting behind Jesus and become followers of Jesus. And there's all kinds of words like that in the scriptures of conversion or being born again or becoming a Christian or being saved or salvation. There's words like that that describe who we are as a church. Some of them have all kinds of cultural, uh, subcultural meanings. If you grew up in the church, some of them have some subcultural meanings for you, Christian subculture. Some of them have cultural attachments that people have made recently that aren't maybe even as helpful as they could have been at one time or used to be for you. But this idea of, of that we're people who have turned and become Jesus followers. There's a couple of of images that help me with this. Uh, one of them is marriage. And, and I got this off Facebook. My friends Anna and Jonathan are having a, uh, a, uh, a anniversary. I don't know if you know Anna and Jonathan. <laughs> Dude, are those the babiest, cutest little married couple you've ever seen in your life? Uh, and, uh, you know, there's something about marriage because the marriage idea is that you start the day being single and fundamentally by the end you've entered into a relationship that is now completely something other. There has been this change that has happened. Uh, you started uh, unmarried, you ended up married. You started legally two uh, entities uh, uh, filing separate tax returns. And at the end of the day, there is something entirely different that is going on. The other word that comes to mind for me is uh, the idea of metamorphosis. And, uh, you know, that, that concept, I mean, if you, if you go on YouTube again and refresh your memory of uh, probably middle school biology and watch a video of a caterpillar, okay, just stop for a minute. Seriously, is this the biggest joke of, in heaven? Like, this is the most amazing concept, that a caterpillar... Little fuzzy caterpillar with all the legs and everything goes in on itself, sheds its skin, eats itself from the inside, and transforms into this entirely other thing that can then fly. Are you kidding me right now? Like, have you? Could you tell I had some time on my hands this week? This metamorphosis, that transformation that happens, it started to be one thing, and then it ended up being something entirely different. This is who the church is. The church is people who have turned to Jesus, chosen to follow him, and have become new creatures. 
And so we have these words like conversion. You know, conversion, by the way, means conversion is rarely used in the Bible. The concepts are there. But conversion means it's a turning. It's a turning around. Anybody know another biblical word, Christian-y word that means turning around? Anybody know another word for that? Repentance. Yeah, take all the mystery and, and weirdness out of the word repentance. Repentance means to turn around and go the other direction. And so this idea that the church are people who once were living on their own and going a direction, their own direction, and they turned around and became a follower of Jesus and now are forever going his direction. In fact, we studied a passage in Acts chapter 3 earlier on in our study where uh, Peter's sermon, he actually said to them, uh, repent and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. Repent and turn to God, and your sins will be forgiven in Acts chapter 3. Well, we come in our study of Acts 1 through 10 to the most famous turning story probably in the Bible, and that's the turning or the conversion of Saul, who became Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament. And you're, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, we'll look at the story together. I'd love you to take out a Bible. I don't have it on the screen because it's too long of a passage. And so everybody grab a Bible underneath the chair in front of them and turn to Acts chapter 9. I'll give you 40 bucks if you tell me what page number it's on. 1100. He's got it right here. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, this is the most famous story on, the, on the, that famous road to Damascus that we've heard about. In fact, you know, we, we, I, I, the, you may, like me, have not grown up with God's Word. You may not have grown up in Bible study. You may not have grown up with a Christian background, uh, but you may kind of know some of these terms, you know, that, that, that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and this is what happened. So I want to look at Paul's story, I want to read it together, and then I want to talk about what we learn in there about becoming a follower of Jesus. So it starts out verse 1. Everybody get a Bible, everybody grab one. If you didn't, you can grab one underneath the seat, 1100, page 1100. It says, meanwhile, verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This is Saul who became Paul. His name later, and we don't know all, all we don't really know why, but he ended up changing his name. It's, you know, later he just started being called Paul, and they said, who was, it said Saul, who's also called Paul, and then after that it just called him Paul. But it signifies a conversion, doesn't it, probably? That he thought it's time to go by a different name. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That's verse 1. Meanwhile, meanwhile, and you go back and you go, meanwhile, what? What was happening? Well, meanwhile, what was happening was that the church had been experiencing persecution. I talked about this last week. And Stephen actually was persecuted to the point of being killed. Uh, and so, and twice in that passage, it, uh, in that story, it talks about how Saul was watching, holding guys' coats approving of this killing. And then this chapter starts with, and meanwhile, Saul's still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Damascus is in Syria, north of Jerusalem, north of, of the kind of the Holy Land proper. And so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he said, hey, listen, we're going to stamp out this Christian thing. It's a threat to us. He was a Jewish leader. 
and uh, we don't like what's happening here. It's dishonoring to God. Now, it's important to see this. When you see, Paul was a Pharisee. You can read about his life, and you can go find that. You can go look that up in your study Bible. You can see other places where he talks about his life, and you can hear how he describes himself. He was a Pharisee. He was not, a, he was not what we would consider some sort of a sociopath or evil person. He actually was trying so hard, I mean, to the nth degree, to be a pleaser of God. He was trying to do the right thing. And so he's out there now. I'm going to go to Syria. I'm going to go into Damascus because there's Jewish believers there that are hearing about these Christians and I got to protect them from this people who belong to the way. Don't you love, by the way, that Christianity is called the way there? I love that. Christians is only used a couple times in the Bible. It's used, but it's only used a couple times in the New Testament. More often, especially in here, it, they use the word the way which is more about Christians are people who have turned around and become followers of Jesus. They're on the way with Jesus. That's why our mission statement is such a moving, like we're moving, we're engaging with the spiritually hungry toward life in Christ. We're moving on the way. This is the way. Jesus said he was the way and the truth and the life. So he's going after these people on the way. Verse three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly... A light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. And there in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias said, which is what you say when you get your name called in a vision, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's there praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. See how God's orchestrating this whole thing. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many reports about this man and, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Paul had been involved in seeing people killed for their faith for a long time now and had a reputation. So the Lord said, Ananias, I want you to go see Paul. And Ananias is like, yeah, I'm not sure you, uh, what, wait. Verse 14, he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I was the, verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, this guy was an enemy hours before of Christians. Brother Saul, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized after taking some food. He regained his strength. That's the word of the Lord, friends. Man, an incredible story, this story of conversion. You see that idea of turning and becoming a follower of Jesus. You see that idea of starting one, the day one way and ending it in an entirely different way, a new creation, a new way of living, a new way of thinking. 
I want us to look from this story about what it is that we can learn about becoming a follower of Jesus. And so I just have uh, several points here that I'm going to get through as many as I can until we run out of time. But what do we see in this text about becoming a Jesus follower? And the caveat here, friends, is that I'm, 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 I'm talking about this because if your experience was like mine, coming to understand my faith in Jesus was a process by which I came, I started to understand, right? And uh, there, was, there was this experience of learning more and more, and you may be somewhere on that journey, and we want to clarify for you from time to time, and here we are in Acts chapter 9, like, so what does it really mean to become a Jesus follower? What are we talking about there? The first thing that we get from this text on being coming a Jesus follower is that it, was, it is initiated by God. This relationship was initiated by God. Isn't that not crystal clear in this story? That this is God initiated. Paul was not, say the least, was not looking to become a Christian. In fact, most people I have met who have come to a place of turning and following Jesus were not looking to become a Christian. In fact, most people had a rather negative view about religion in general and maybe even Christianity specifically, and so were not looking to become a Christian. So sometimes their becoming a Christian was uh, fraught with peril and, uh, and foul language because they couldn't believe that they were starting to become a Christian. Well, this is something that God does. He initiates this relationship and helps people come to a place where they couldn't, for whatever preconceived notions, they they couldn't get to by themselves. It's initiated by by God. Paul, it says, as he, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey suddenly. That word suddenly means out of nowhere. There was no expecting it. There was no sign that it was coming. There was nobody asking for it. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell down onto his face. The light came out of nowhere. He was absolutely stunned by the experience is what the text is conveying. Paul was not about becoming a Christian and God initiated this relationship. You see some of that in this verse I want to read, show you. I put it on the screen from 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is Paul talking about this conversion experience. He says, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy. You see the beginning of initiation language? Jesus considered me trustworthy. By the way, don't miss that. How, what in the world would Jesus have seen in Paul that would have considered him at that point trustworthy? He was an enemy of the faith. He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Verse 13. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace, what does grace mean? It's unmerited favor. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Grace is such a word of initiation. Grace doesn't wait for somebody to be worth it. Grace doesn't wait for somebody to to initiate it themselves. Grace just comes, this mercy, unmerited favor. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, Paul says. Here's a saying, he goes, that you should be writing on your walls. Here's what your next tattoo should say, says Paul. Here's a trustworthy saying that it deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, meaning people who were not aligned with him already. And he goes, of whom I 
am the worst. Isn't that great? But so for that, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I was the worst. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. If you don't remember that, check your tattoo. God, he, this is what Jesus did. He initiated with broken people who were not ready to become Christians, who didn't want to become Christians. He's initiated his love and mercy abundantly on them. And Paul says, and he did it on me, and I'm the worst. He did it on me so that he might display to everybody else his immense patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And then, of course, he gets overwhelmed and starts worshiping. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen, he says. I want to be a person who's so enamored with Jesus that when we start talking about him somewhere, I'll just break into now to the God, the immortal, invisible, the only God, be praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. I just want to say that in the middle of my paragraph to you as I speak. He was, this concept illustrates a whole bunch of things that we could use this text to illustrate a, a number of my points this morning, but this one point that, he is, that it is initiated by God. Becoming a follower of Jesus is a God thing where he does something in initiation to us. You may be experiencing that. You may have experienced that. Many will come to us at the end of, of a, gather, a worship gathering. I've had this conversation. I've shared it before. Uh, uh, I may have had this conversation with you. I'm not outing you. I've had it. Uh, I, I, if I don't exaggerate, I bet I've had it 20 times that someone has come up and said, hey, thanks for the little talk or whatever you call that. I go to the sermon. They go, thanks for the sermon. And they go, I'm new here. And, uh, and often, and it can be, you know, a little old lady, it can be a burly young man, it doesn't matter, but often all of a sudden the emotion will begin to choke and that person will say, sorry, something's happening to me today. I had a friend who suggested I come by their church and check it out. I'm here for the first time and I don't know what's going on. One person shared with me, I can't ever come without crying through the whole thing, and I don't know why. <laughs> now, emotion's not the only way we know of God's initiation. But when that happens, I always say to somebody, oh, well, I know what's happening. This is God initiating out of his love for you, a relationship with you. This is God who's stirring you. You may have experienced it through internal feelings and affect. You may have experienced it through outside circumstances in your life that conspire to prompt you that there's something more to life. There's something more going on inside of me that in fact, this concept that you may have believed growing up, you may have believed partly growing up, you may not have believed it at all growing up, that something about this is starting to make some intuitive soul sense Maybe some in your head, maybe not in your head, but certainly in your soul that God is doing something and you're longing for something and you've acquired a thirst that's drawing you to God and you're learning about him. You may have experienced that in your story. You may have actually already been a follower of Jesus for 20 years and you know what I'm talking about. God continues to initiate. And every Sunday, every week, every morning, you're like, I'm kind of hungry for God. He's doing something in me right now. You know what I'm saying? Somebody give me an amen if you have a testimony for that. Right? God stirs. He initiates. This is a God who initiates. I want you to know if you're feeling that, you guys, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, that 
is God in his unbelievable mercy wooing your heart. Because he wants a relationship with every single one of the people he created on earth. God initiates, and we see that in Paul's story. Second, what we learn about from Paul's story is on becoming a Jesus follower is no one earns it and no one deserves it. You see that in the, in the text that we looked at earlier uh, from 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul was going, eh, just his un, unmerited favor just came on me, and that's how he initiated But But it's more than that. There's this idea you see that Paul, when you look at this story, the, Luke was careful who wrote this, who wrote the book of Luke and who wrote the book of Acts. He was careful to really communicate, do you get that Saul should not have been the person that God was initiating a relationship he was the anti-Christian. He was the antithesis of somebody who was faithful to Jesus, that was supportive of Jesus' followers. He was so not looking to be a Christian that he becomes this example of nobody earns this. Nobody comes to him because they've put it, their lives in such a place that God says, you now have my favor. You now deserve me to show up and have a relationship with you. This relationship of turning and following him is initiated by Jesus himself, but it uh, comes to everybody no matter who they are, no matter how far they've fallen short, no matter what their state is, and they cannot earn it and they cannot deserve it. And Paul was right in saying, I think I'm an example of that because I literally was killing Christians before Jesus initiated this relationship with me. And even I was given his love and his grace and his forgiveness. So the point is, he goes, I'm being an example. So go ahead and tell me your story. It won't compare to mine. Tell me how bad off you are it will be nothing compared to mine. Tell me how far away from what you think the standard is of a godly, righteous, moral person is. You tell me everything you've ever done, it's not gonna compare to my story, Paul says. Isn't that great in God's mercy that he gave us that example? So that any one of us who sat and thought, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. It can't, God's love and mercy can't possibly be extended to me. The answer is, oh yeah, it can and that's the good news. No one deserves it. Look at this verse in Romans chapter 5. It says it so well. I could have given you a hundred verses to illustrate this. Romans uh, 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still what? Powerless. See, we didn't earn it. Christ died for ungodly people. Very rarely will anybody die for a righteous person even, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. I don't know. But verse 8, but God, he demonstrates his own love for us in this. While, while we were still, what? Sinners, broken, lost, away from him, Christ died for us. This is his initiative. This is him saying nobody earns it. Friends, I tell you that because this is about the love of God manifesting itself in a solution to forgive us of every sin, every day, every year we've lived apart from the presence of God because we've lived our own lives and not followed Jesus. No matter where you've been and no matter what you've done, God comes. God comes and initiates a relationship with you and we receive it as a free gift. That's why it's called the good news. It's good news. Hey, if you're sitting here going, oh, it's nice, Jeff's talking to, to new people or people who don't understand it. No, 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 wait a minute. 
Many of us live with a, superior, a spiritual inferiority conflict uh, complex, conflict, because we think we've dishonored God even after knowing the good news. And so we're kept at a distance from him. I want to tell you, church, God initiates with you. He's coming after your heart. And there's nothing in your story that keeps you at bay from the infinite, reckless love of God, as we just sang. It's initiated by God. No one earns it and no one deserves it. I love the sweet little phrase, the old phrase, that the ground is level before the cross. There's not people who have all been great and then the people who are such a mess. Everybody, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then third, and nobody has it all figured out before they come to Jesus or even once they come to Jesus. Nobody has it all figured out. And I want to tell you that because, and we see it, and let's look at it in Paul's story. The, uh, the thing, uh, interesting thing in Paul's story is that when he, verse 3 and 4, look at it again. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light uh, light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And look at what Paul's reaction was, what Saul's reaction was. He didn't have anywhere to put it. He goes, who are you, Lord? Like, like, sir, like master, like this was a divine encounter, he figured. But he didn't know where to put it. He didn't have a paradigm to fit it in. He didn't understand what was happening to him. He had to ask, so who are you? Like, what is happening right now? If you go back and you look line by line and phrase by phrase of this story, especially this beginning part of the story, he was thrown for a loop. I mean, he was, he was like, I don't know where to put this. And the Lord says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And he's like, What? Like, I thought I was serving you. How am I persecuting God? I thought I was one looking for the purity of religion, not the one who would be persecuting you. I thought I was looking out for your interests. Like, he was turned upside down. I want to tell you that. And then as, as he goes, I mean, he, he continues on, on his journey even afterward and not sure what's going on. I, I want you to know that some of us, we feel God stirring, initiating we're understanding this love of God and this invitation to be in a relationship with him. But some of us are like, but man, I got some business to take care of before I can encounter him. I got some more learning to do. I have to figure it all out. I have to take a comparative religions uh, master's degree before I can go give myself in faith to Jesus. I want you to know nobody ever in the history has said yes to turning and becoming a follower of Jesus because they had it all figured out. That is something that happens along the way. That doesn't mean don't ask good questions. We're people moving toward Christ in a way that's inspired, intelligent, and involved. We're going to ask good questions. We're going to think well. But I'm telling you, you're not going to understand all of it. You're you're, you're not going to get it. I remember when I first became a Christian, I didn't want to tell anybody because I knew that people would say to me, so why do you believe that? I'd be like, I don't know. And I feel kind of stupid. But I knew that God had initiated and encountered me and I knew it without a shadow of a doubt, but I couldn't justify it. And I couldn't tell you what was happening. I didn't have words for it. I didn't have understanding about it. And so if you're like, that's where I'm at. 
and I can't get quite get over the hump, I want you to know that what we learn about becoming a follower of Jesus is that nobody has it figured out before they come to Jesus and not even after they come to Jesus. He, after he came to Jesus, he was still like, I don't know what's going on in this place. So we're going to walk with him and we're going to mature over time and God's going to communicate to us and we're going to put precept upon precept and it's going to start having a clearer picture. Does anybody resonate with your experience? Is that what happened to you? Nobody's figured it out all the way before they come to Christ. And partly it's because, and here's the fourth thing I want you to see, it's because this is such a total paradigm shift. This is what we know about becoming a Jesus follower. It's a complete paradigm shift. In Paul's experience, I love the fact that God gave him this experience for us to see it, that he fell down and he became blind. Why did he become blind? I don't think that was necessarily just a physiological reaction to the blinding light uh, and then later it says something like scales fell off his eyes. And like Luke's saying uh, that like something like, like we don't even know what to tell you what happened. Something happened. It was supernatural. It was crazy. But he goes, he was blind and he needed somebody to come along and pray for him. And then he began to see. And I think this is God's way of making something physical happen with Paul to communicate to us that there is a total paradigm shift that he went blind and then could see. Does that sound a little bit biblical almost? There's a, there's a person who was healed by Jesus in John chapter 9, and the authorities called him together and said, what's happening? He goes, I don't know. I, I, and this kind of illustrates the last point, too. He goes, I don't, I don't really know what happened. Like, they're like, well, who was he? And they're like, he's Jesus. Like, you saw him. Like, I don't know what to and They're like, by what power did he do this? He goes, I, I'm going to tell you what I know. I was blind. Now I see. Like, that's what I got going. And they're like, yeah, but how did and he's like, let me go over the two points again. I couldn't see. Now I can. And that was his story. He didn't have it all figured out. But there was this metamorphosis. There was this shift. He started as one thing and then he ended up as something else. It is such a complete paradigm shift. Coming to Jesus turns everything upside down. This illustration of the prodigal son that Jesus told where the father who represents God said, my son was dead. That's us. My son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. We're talking about being blind and now I see. I was not a follower of Jesus and now I'm a follower of Jesus. The, First Peter talks about once you were not the people of God, now you are the people of God. First John, John wrote that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's a full paradigm shift. There is this, and now there's now. And that paradigm shift, my everything is redefined. Every day, every relationship, every dollar, every thought, every decision, everything has been redefined because once I was like this and now I'm like this. What does like this mean? I'm a follower of Jesus, that God's real and he's good and Jesus has rescued me and I can now walk with him and so my life is for him and so everything is through the lens of Jesus coming and initiating a relationship with me and his love for giving me of all of my sin that I might be restored to a relationship with God. That's, that's it. That everything now is around that paradigm. Once, live in my own way. My decisions, my choices, my cause, my effect, my will. I'm behind Jesus. That changes it all. 
I tell you that because as you are coming to live out your faith or move toward a relationship with Jesus, when you start to sense how radical it is, oh yeah. And if you've stepped into that relationship, keep going. Because that paradigm shift is what life is all about. Jesus came. I, I, Jesus said, I came to bring you life and life at its fullest. And you live this paradigm out through the lens of Jesus Christ, as, and I'm a follower of him, you'll find how you were designed to live. It's your destiny. It's beautiful. And it is, and it is a complete shift. And last, I want to give you this one. This is what we learn about Jesus becoming a Jesus follower, it, um, it requires a step of the will. In faith, for sure, because we don't have it figured out, but it requires a step of the will. It requires some sort of an intention on our part. God didn't just reprogram Saul so that without his own choice, he was now going to be controlled. He didn't have a will of his own. God was now going to control everything that happened. He initiated, but he didn't control him. God does not create robots. God will not take uh, you against your will. God will not make you have a relationship with him. That's not how it works. That's not how love works. And so he initiates and asks, would you come and be in a relationship with me? And in the story, you know, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then verse 6 Jesus says, now get up and go into the city and you're going to be told what to do. And at that point, there's a big gap. There's a big, should be a big giant line in your scripture where Paul, Saul had to go, oh gosh, crazy paradigm, mind-blowing shift. What am I going to do? And the text indicates that he got up and went with these guys and began his new life. That point of decision is for everybody in the world, and it's for you. It's a decision of coming to the place to say, okay, am I making this choice? Will I, in fact, follow him? Revelation 3.20 has this picture. Jesus is talking to the church. He's, talking about, uh, he's already talking to people who have a relationship with him already, but it does apply to this concept of our will. It's our choice. Jesus said, here I am. I'm standing at the door of your life and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and be with him. I'm going to come in and have a relationship with him. I'm going to come in to him. To eat with him is the, the literal language. I'm going to come in and eat with that person and they with me. We will begin a relationship. But you see Jesus going, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Will you open the door? Will you open the door and come and have a relationship with me? And again, Jesus is talking to believers here. So this is for everybody in this room, whether you're newbie to this deal or whether you've been here forever. Jesus goes, I'm initiating. Will you? Will you come and be in a relationship with me? I'll come in and I'll change your paradigm and everything will be about me from now on. And I'll show you how you were designed to be. It requires a step of the will in faith, a get up and go response. So here's the action item. I've been doing action items for each one of these things. Get it? Action, act, action item. The book of Acts. First, consider. Consider this question. Band, why don't you guys come out and um, we're going to do one song before we close. 
consider, has God been initiating? Has God been initiating a relationship with you? Has he been stirring? Has he been wooing you? Has God been on the move internally through external circumstances, creating a stirring that there's more to life, that there's something happening here that's of substance, that there's something happening in your heart, in the, in the scriptures, in the people you know that are people of faith that you're wanting? Like, I want that. I want, I want more of that. God's doing something in me. Has God been initiating with you? Consider that question. Hint. I think it's true for every single last one of you. But would you consider that that's what's happening? Would you be open to admitting that's God wanting more of me? That's God wanting more for me. That's God wanting me to come. That's God knocking at the door. Second, would you ask? Ask yourself, have I settled the issue? Have I settled the issue? I once was here and I will turn, and I will follow Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I was blind, and now I see. I was lost, and now I'm found. Have you settled the issue? Billy Graham used to say, if you died tonight, would you be certain that you'd be with Jesus forever? It wasn't a fear tactic. It wasn't an oversimplification. It wasn't his intention. It was to say, settle the issue. Not, I have some affinity for Jesus. Not, I go to church a bunch. But am I, have I turned? Have I been converted from here to here? And last, of course, then act. Turn around and step toward him. Maybe this morning for you is a, is a marker, it's a watershed, that Jesus is saying, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in. Do you want to have a relationship with me? If you're ready to do that, then this week, my friends, turn around and step toward him. Jesus says, come follow me. I have you opened the door. And even this morning, does that resonate with what you need to do? We're going to sing a song as we close and we're going to do something pretty bold. As we stand and sing this song, I'm going to ask you, if this morning you're ready to open the door and be in a relationship with Jesus, I want you to come up front and sing with me. And we're just going to stand right here and we're going to sing this song and then we're going to do the benediction together up here. And then our prayer team will just pray a prayer of blessing over you. But this is a very non-culturally cool thing to do. But we're going to settle the issue. So maybe for you, that's for the very first time you're like, God's been initiating. I thought I had it all together. I had to figure it all out. But I want to respond to the love of God that's coming my way. And I'm ready to open the door and see where that goes. I'm ready to come into a relationship with Jesus and say yes to his forgiveness and his love. If that's you, I'm going to have you come up here and stand. And I don't want to miss the opportunity that this church is full of people that have been around forever and you may have wandered so far off the path of following Jesus that this message has been painful for you because the angst 
of what you felt has been your unfaithfulness or the distance you've created has been overwhelming to you. And you're ready today to open the door again and recommit yourself to a relationship with Jesus. We feel like we wandered far away and he must be way back there somewhere. But he's still initiating, my friends. And when you turn around, he's right there waiting to re-embrace you. So if this morning for the first time, you want to say yes to a relationship with Jesus or you want to say yes to returning to that initiation that he has made and you want to come back into receiving his love, then I'm going to have you come forward. Maybe me. It may be me and Terry, you come with me just so that it's not me alone, would you? Let's stand together. Let's respond to the Lord and maybe you need to come and make this a marker today.